Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. Let's go, friends. How are we doing today? Man, so excited to be with you today to, to open up God's Word together. We are going to dive into John chapter 3 in just a few minutes as we continue on our series um, about the life of Jesus, discovering Jesus in the Gospel of John. And this whole idea that Jesus Christ is and was the most iconic figure in human history. He, he is and was the most prominent historical figure ever to walk the face of the planet. More, uh, quote-unquote, fame than any other human who has ever lived. Jesus is not just the turning point in history, but he is the very definition of what it means to be an icon, somebody that is known by nearly everybody on the planet. And so... Excited to dive into that, into John 3 in just a minute. Before we get there, got to give one more quick shout out to Love the 50 Week. It's just kind of the week that keeps on giving. And can you all help me in thanking the volunteers that showed up on Friday night at the Oak Ridge homecoming game? Um, having had kids in the Junior Trojans program, you know if you've got kids in the program, whether it's high school or all the way down to Pee Wee, uh, they are serious about that snack shack. And, uh, you know, you've got to get your hours in. It feels like, you know, or you're on parole or something. I don't know. They're going to put like something on your ankle until you get your hours in. But uh, man, our, our church showed up in an awesome way. We held that sucker down for a little over four hours so the parents could actually watch their kids play the homecoming game. So thank you for being awesome, church. Thank you for continuing to serve. That's a really cool way for us just uh, to love on some families at Oak Ridge. And then um, last thing is this. I know everybody's aware. We've all, um, we've all been watching the news, the updates. Um, of the conflict happening in the Middle East right now between Hamas and really everyone. Uh, if you want to get down to the heart, I believe, of what the issue and the problem is, is there is a bottom line a terrorist organization that is seeking to cause destruction and to bring death. And we have some very dear friends of ours, um, obviously, that we have known for many, many years before we even moved out to California, who lead a ministry in Israel called FIRM, the Fellowship of Israel-Related Ministries. Uh, Michael and Vanessa Mistretta, Michael has preached here before, Wayne and Ann Hilston, who are the founders. And we are just praying for them by name. Right now, they are all still in Israel. They are providing relief um, and aid to uh, Israeli soldiers, um, really, they're using this as an opportunity to share the gospel, both with Palestinians and with um, Israelites, because right now, more than ever, there is need that can be met by those who love Christ, and that's what they are doing. And so, friends, let's be praying for their protection. Let's be praying for um, just God to use them as salt and light in the midst of a very uh, scary, terrifying situation that we are watching unfold. Um, and we will keep you updated. As I mentioned last week, we are planning to, uh, to take another trip to Israel as a church. Um, the plans for that trip are in April. Uh, we may just 
you know, we're watching this closely and we'll keep you updated on when we plan to go again. And so, and we'll keep you updated. We're, we're exploring options. I've been in touch with Michael about different ways that we as a church might be able to support a firm just on the ground, front lines, uh, pro- proclaiming the name of Jesus in the hardest places. And so, uh, can we do that together as a church? Can we just commit to praying for them? Amen. Thank you. Yeah, and I know if Michael or Vanessa watches this, this online, guys, we love you. We're for you, praying for you. And um, yeah, I really, I really hope um, things are still good for us to go in April. It's an amazing trip. But more than that, just praying for peace and praying for Hamas to get exposed and shut down and defeated once and for all. Amen and amen. Okay, so iconic, the Gospel of John. Near the end of the Gospel of John, this is a verse that I shared last week. I'm probably going to reference this several more times, but John, at the very end of his Gospel, at the, at the very end of the book that he wrote to capture and explain the life of Jesus, to, to write it down, to capture it in writing, and to share with the world who was Jesus and why did he matter? What was unique about him? What did he teach? Who was this man who was more than a man? Who is this person that was fully God and fully man, the, the bridge, the doorway back to the presence of the Father? Who was this guy? And John says this at the very end of his book. He says, the disciples, himself included, they saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So he says, plain and simple, I, I didn't write it all down. I couldn't write it all down. In fact, the very last line, a friend of mine and I, we were talking about this the other day, probably one of the coolest lines in the Bible. The very last line of the Gospel of John says this. So John 21, verse 25, it says this. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's an amazing verse. The world itself could not contain all the things, the, all the books and all the world could not contain the nuances and the reality of what Jesus did and accomplished while he was here on earth. And so John had a lot to choose from. He had a lot of just amazing things to say and to write about from the life of Jesus. And he says this, but but these are written. I chose these stories. He says, I chose these teachings, these moments in Jesus's life. I put these in in my biography of Jesus so that you may believe. He's putting his cards on the table. He says, I wrote all of this inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to put it down on a page, and I wrote it, why? So that you may believe that Jesus is the Savior. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John says, plain and simple, I want you to experience life. I want you to to live and experience the reality of life with God. I want you to, to be reconnected with the source of life, and that is God. And the only way to be reconnected to him, 
fully and totally and completely once and for all is through faith in Jesus Christ, is by believing that Jesus is who he says he said he was and that Jesus did what we believe that he did, namely dying for a cross, dying on a cross for our sins and then rising three days later from the dead. But believing that Jesus is the mediator. He's the the bridge, the pathway between heaven and earth. He came to rescue us so that by faith in him, we can have eternal life. And John just says, look, I wrote all this so that you would see it's true. So that you would come to believe what I have come to believe, says John. And here's the thing. We're going to jump in. We're going to touch on this a little bit. I know this is one of those questions, if you've been around the church for a while, that maybe you still have questions about. But there is, um, there's this statement that you might hear floating around out there in the Christian world. It's this whole idea of once saved, always saved. Have you all heard that statement or that phrase before? Once saved, always saved. Um, on one level, I think that's an oversimplification of, of what salvation is. But on the other hand, I think it is actually a pretty good description of how salvation works. And, and here's what I mean. I think there's confusion around this because some people will come to me or they'll ask or they'll question and they'll say, you know, Pastor Jonathan, you know, I, um, I raised my hand in church when I was in high school and I got baptized and I said a prayer with the pastor at that point in my life, um, you know, does that still count for me today? Or I, I went forward at a summer youth camp when I was in fifth grade and I, I prayed the prayer of salvation, the sinner's prayer and put my faith in Jesus and then I got baptized. But, you know, I haven't been to church in years. I've really kind of walked away from my faith. I'm not really sure what I believe anymore. And, and what I would say is this, and I think John is going to answer some of this question for us, right? Salvation, friends, it's not a raise my hand one time at church, um, you know, get my ticket into heaven, and then just move on about my life as I please, right? Salvation is something actually much deeper, And in John 3, Jesus equates it. He calls salvation, he refers to it as something called the new birth. And he says this crazy phrase to a man named Nicodemus who we're about to meet. He says, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus is really confused by that statement can't make sense of that statement. And so the question around salvation and faith is this. I don't really like the whole phrase, um, once saved, always saved, because it it feels like you kind of punch a ticket and move on with your life. Got my ticket. Here it is, right? I do believe that once you are truly born again, once you have put your faith in Christ as your Lord and Savior, salvation is a free gift from heaven. And that can happen when you're five years old, that can happen when you're 85 years old or anywhere in between, when you put your faith, when you believe that Christ is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh, sent to die for our sins and rose again from the dead, when you believe 
You are forgiven, you are loved, and the new life of Christ enters into your soul. But I want to say this clearly. Saving faith is not just a one-time thing. Saving faith is persevering faith. Saving faith is faith that clings to Jesus through every season of life. And it's not going to say, doesn't mean you're not going to have wilderness seasons or seasons where it feels like your faith is just dead in the water. But what it is saying is that no matter what, through it all, whatever you may be facing, true faith in Christ will last until the end. True faith in Christ will cling to Christ until the very end. And I believe this whole idea of belief, right? By believing in him, you will have life. I believe there is an immediate, an immediate gift from heaven, from God to us of salvation when you put your faith in him. But I also believe that faith is progressive. It grows as we mature in our walk with Jesus. Faith is never stagnant. It's not just something from the past that you made a decision about years ago. Faith is something that you must actively choose to walk in every day. Amen? Faith is something that you have to actively choose every day. And that's part of the evidence that you have been born again. That's part of the evidence that you're alive in Christ. And so, John 3, um, this chapter that we're about to get into, it, I think it hands down, is one of the most, if not the most famous chapters in the Bible. One of the most famous chapters in the Bible. Any ideas why John 3 might be famous? Just throw it out there if you're thinking it. I know you are. John 3.16, right? So maybe you've heard of this verse. For God so loved the world, right in the heart of this discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Nicodemus, Jesus is referring to himself. He's like, that's me. That whoever believes, there's that word believe again, in him should not perish, should not die, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus wasn't sent here to condemn us. He was sent here to save us. We'll learn real quick in the next verse, we're already condemned. If, if you're in this room, if you're a human breathing on planet earth, we all are under the condemnation for our sin. We're all under the judgment for sin, which is death. All of us are dying. We're moving in that direction. And Jesus came to set us free from sin and death. Now, I came across a really interesting article this past week because John 3.16, believe it or not, it was in Christianity Today, it just got passed, it just got surpassed as the most popular verse in the Bible. It just got, you know, taken out from the number one slot. I mean, I think it's been in the number one slot for 50 years, who knows? But it just got surpassed by another verse in the Bible. And the way that Christianity Today figured this out is they, they went to BibleGateway.com, Bible.org, all these different websites, the Bible app, and they got all the stats around which verses 
are searched for more than any other verses. And of course, John 3.16 is always near the top. But any guesses on what verse in the Bible just took its place? John 17.23. I don't even know that one off the top of my head, but we'll, uh, that's a good, a good guess. Um, Romans 8.28, anyone? You know, that's a big one. God works all things together for the good of those who love him or called according to his purposes. Turns out, Jeremiah 29.11 is now the new John 3.16. It's the new most popular verse in the Bible. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. It was so interesting because the article, the Christianity Today article said, part of the reason, the writer said this, part of the reason, part of the reason I believe that this verse has actually eclipsed John 3.16 in our culture today is because John 3.16, if you notice, it's a little specific, right? God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes, not just in whatever they want to believe, but who believes in him. Very specific belief that leads to eternal life. Belief in God's only son, Jesus, should not perish, but have eternal life. That's pretty specific. Some would say narrow. But I think it's hard to call this narrow when you see the opening line when it says, God so loved what? The world, everyone, that he sent his son to rescue, to die for us. So this whole idea of perishing without Christ, um, even the idea of condemnation, even though it's clear that he didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but to save the world, this verse is becoming less and less popular because it's pointing to Jesus as the only hope, as the only source of true life and eternal life. It's much more comfortable and convenient today to lean on a verse like Jeremiah 29, 11 because, you know, I'm sure as we read this and we think about the fact that God says, I know the plans I have for you. I, I, know, I know where your life is headed, declares the Lord. I've got plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. I mean, that kind of feels like an unlimited Amazon gift card. Come on, somebody. It's like, yes. I can think of some ways that God, you know, would love to prosper me and help me and give me an awesome future because life is awful right now and terrible. So Lord, I need you to fix all of this. I'm just, you know, I'm cashing in my unlimited Amazon points right now. And I'm just, let's go, God. The future looks great. But it's a very open-ended, hopeful verse. It's not very specific. Now, what's crazy, and this is what struck me as I was reading this article, do you realize that John 3.16 is actually the fulfillment of this verse? Do you realize that the future and the hope that God was talking about the, the plans that he has for us, the plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Do you know all of that? Is not, he is not 
just talking about your physical situation in life right now, your financial situation, your relational situation. He's not just dealing with the struggles that you're facing, though he sees those and he cares deeply. What he's talking about is an eternal future and an eternal hope that only comes through faith in Christ. John 3.16 is the fulfillment of this verse. And even though John 3.16 is no longer number one, it's still very connected to Jeremiah 29, 11. So let's dive into what Jesus is actually talking about here because what, what we're hitting on is really found in verse seven. When Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, and I'm about to read the beginning of it, he says to him in verse seven, Nicodemus, you must be born again which Nicodemus, who's a Pharisee, is extremely confused by what Jesus is saying. So here's what we understand from this text and from this verse. Number one, we're going to learn why is a new birth necessary? What is the new birth? Like, what is Jesus talking about here? And then, are you born again? Maybe the most important question that you will ever think about or examine in your own life are you born again? Is your faith, is your belief in Christ, is it saving faith? And how do you know? Can you think of a more urgent question? But Jesus is very meticulous here. He wants to take us through this entire conversation. And John wrote it down so that we can look at this and understand, okay, what is, what's he talking about? Why is this necessary and how do I know? What are the evidence, the signs of new birth in my own life? So, y'all ready? Man, that was weak. Are y'all ready? Here we go. <laughs> All right, John 3, 1 to 2. Here's, here's what it says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. So, he's a, he's a Pharisee, which is a religious leader. And he was a part of the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling um, group over the Jewish nation, okay? So he was a Pharisee, highly respected as a religious leader. He was also highly involved in the politics of the Israelites during that time. He was a ruler of the Jews. And this man, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus by night. Any clue of why he may have decided to have this conversation at night? Because Jesus, at this point, had already become somewhat of, a, of an icon in that area, but he was a negative icon. In the sense of the religious elite, the leaders, they, they were afraid of what he was saying. In fact, they were angry at the claims that he was making. They were becoming more and more angry as Jesus made bolder and bolder claims of his own divinity and the fact that he was God. And so Nicodemus, who's genuinely searching here, comes to Jesus by night looking for answers. And he calls him rabbi, teacher. He says, rabbi, imagine a Pharisee calling Jesus rabbi. That's a big deal. We know, he's referring to the Sanhedrin, the other Pharisees, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Yeah, we believe God sent you, Nicodemus is saying to Jesus. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. 
So Nicodemus is acknowledging. He's acknowledging, okay, there's something unique about you, Jesus. Um, I believe, we believe you are sent from God. We're not sure exactly why you're here, what your main message is, but would you please talk to me about that? What, what are you sent here from God to teach us about? And so it goes on. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. I mean, what an what a off-the-wall response to what Nicodemus is asking. Just think about this in context to Nicodemus's question. All right, you're a teacher sent from God Teach on. What, what, do you, what, what can I learn? What does God want to say to me? Okay, here's what he wants to say, Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You're never going to see it. Not just now, but in the future. You won't be invited in. Born again is the key. You have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Fair enough question. Really fair question, right? So Nicodemus, like the Pharisees do, they are very literal and meticulous with words. And he said, okay, pause, Jesus. All right, I have to be born again to see the kingdom of God? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? No, you can't, Nicodemus. Uh, Jesus replied, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter, not just see the kingdom of God, but he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You must be born again. So number one, what is the new birth? The new birth quite simply is talking about salvation. It's talking about what happens in you when you put your faith in Jesus. When you decide to put your faith in Christ for the first time, that you believe that his death on the cross paid for all of your sins and his resurrection from the dead gives life to your spirit. When you believe that, you are born again. When you have deeply trusted and believed the message of the gospel, the truth of that, then a new creation begins on the inside of you. Not just... Jesus is not just talking about what is born of the flesh, just your natural earthly life. What he's talking about is a new birth of your spirit, of your soul. You see, all of us, our souls have been cut off from God by sin. And we had no way back. We'd been cut off from God by our own sin. And so in order for us to be made new to become a new creation. We put our faith in Christ and literally at that moment, God says, you're a new creation in Christ. This is a new beginning for you. This is a, a never ending new beginning for you where grace covers your life, mercy covers your life. My love is fully expressed in you and for you through Jesus. You are covered by me. You are a new creation in Christ, and 
Just like a newborn baby has to learn how to eat and walk and talk and they slowly grow and mature, the same is true for you and I spiritually. We start as immature infants and then we grow into who God has called us to be. But when Jesus is talking about this reality of being born again, what he's talking about is the new Christian life, the life of faith that begins the day you get saved. You guys with me? Trying to be clear on this because it's so vital. That's what the new birth is, okay? Now, the question is this. Why is it necessary? Why is it necessary? Um, for a couple different reasons, and I'll, uh, I want to share a quick story by, by way of illustration around this. Why is it necessary? Um, when Lindsay and I moved our family cross-country from Atlanta, Georgia to California a little over six years ago, you know, we, we packed up our life, um, everything, and things we didn't even know we had, and then we chose to leave some things behind. But what is true, and if you've ever moved, this just happens. There's no avoiding it. There's no way around it. You're going to lose something in the move. Like things just mysteriously disappear when you move, whether cross country or across town. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Praise God, it's not just me, because I... You know, the amount of things in that first three months, once we arrived in California, I was like, all right, so, someone went through our truck. Like, there's no way we, you know, we lost this many things in the move cross country. But sure enough, things just have a way of disappearing as you move cross country. Now, um, one thing about our generation, my generation, so I'm on the, the top end of millennials, like the top range age-wise there. But I'll say um, one thing that I've learned, just a, a, a severe weakness in my generation and younger, is that we have no idea what to do with a filing cabinet. Man, my parents, they crushed the filing cabinet system. I mean, Everything had a folder. My dad had receipts from like 1984 in there, like categorized by month and year. I'm like, dad, why all these receipts? He's like, I don't know, in case I ever get audited, you know? I'm like, okay, glad you got those. I, I don't have any receipts. I don't, okay? Um, I have a filing cabinet, which I'm proud of, but I have no idea what's in there. Mostly it's just a bunch of junk or things that I don't need anymore. But we did have one section that had some tax returns and mortgage documents and, and one very specific folder that at the top tab, I just wrote most important. The most important stuff in here is in this folder. So that's things like passports, birth certificates, social security cards, you know, the things that you basically never need in life until you actually really badly need them. You're not even looking for them. You don't even care if they exist until the moment you have to go to the DMV. Come on, somebody. And, you know, the thing that I liked about my filing cabinet and that folder was the fact that all the most important stuff was in the same folder, so I could grab it, and I'd done this in the past multiple times. Nothing ever left that folder. The one rule was if it leaves the folder, it goes back to the folder in the filing cabinet. And 
I opened up the filing cabinet. I saw the folder. I grabbed it. We had been, I don't know, here in California for about a month or two. We're getting all of our paperwork done. And I remember going to the DMV with my folder and, you know, rookie mistake. You got to check whatever you're taking to the DMV like 15 times and then go ahead and add any other form of identification that might possibly be needed in some, I don't know, past or future life and bring that too because they're going to send you home for one reason or another. Uh, okay, again, maybe just me. But um, I get there and, you know, we get into the process and I show them my old ID and we, we start, you know, getting all the things together. And I open my most important folder. And the first thing I notice is that the passports aren't in there. No big deal. Don't really need a passport right now. But as I'm flipping through it, looking for birth certificates, it's not in there either. Or social security cards. In fact, there's basically nothing left in my most important folder except like, I don't know, a random doctor bill from two years ago. And I'm, I'm just like, did all that get stolen? Did we leave this somewhere in Atlanta? Where is this stuff, right? So I have to go home. I have no form of identification whatsoever. And, you know, now we realize, wow, we, we have no idea where this stuff is. Talk about like starting over, over in your life. And the reason I share that is because, you know, one of the things that, I don't know, I'm sure all of us have probably lost it once or twice or misplaced it, uh, for sure, anybody who is a millennial or younger who says, look, if there are physical documents that I have to keep a hold of and I can't make a digital copy and put it on my computer, it has no shot of existing in my house, right? Um, but our birth certificate, right? I don't have to stand up here while I'm preaching to you and, and before I get started preaching or talking, I don't have to say, all right, guys, just want to get this out of the way real quick. For everybody, here is my birth certificate. This is the uh, proof that I am who I say I am, that I was born where I said I was born, and on this day and time in hospital, uh, here it is. Here's the proof that I'm alive. Now, all of you believe that I'm a living, breathing human, uh, so we can move along with our sermon now. Imagine if that's how you had to greet people, like in life. You know, you walk up and you know, the first thing you got to do is you got to kind of pull out from your bag or whatever, like, hey, here's my birth certificate. I framed it for this occasion. I'm just going to, you know, hang it on the wall right here while we talk so you know I'm alive and I'm really born. I was born. I'm a living, breathing human. That would be ridiculous. We would, we would never do that because um, we are the proof that we are alive, I am in some ways my own birth certificate because I'm standing here before you today preaching. And so in John 3, when Jesus is diving into this with Nicodemus and he's talking about this idea of the new birth, he's saying, look, the reason this is so necessary is, is not because, man, I, I need... I need all the details of the exact day and time that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you put your faith in me, Nicodemus. So right there, we can mark it on the calendar. We can celebrate it every year. And yes, that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. But I know many people that can't really point to that moment for themselves. They say, 
I know today I believe in Christ. I love him. He's my treasure. I, I value him and treasure him above all things because of what he's done for me. But I, I don't remember exactly when that happened. It was a journey for me. There was a moment when suddenly I realized I believed and I'm alive in him. And so the important thing about your salvation, about your new birth in Christ is not the exact date, time, or location, or did I, uh, did I say all the right words when the pastor told me to pray the prayer? Did I get all those just right? You know, was it really from the heart? Friends, we don't walk around asking for each other's birth certificates. We don't walk around checking people's pulses if they're standing in front of us to say, oh, I'm sorry, I just wanna make sure you're alive before I start this conversation. No, we just talk to them because we can see that they're alive. And what John 3 is about, Jesus is saying, look, do you have evidence in your life that you've been born again? Has something changed? Is something different? Friends, the reason the new birth is necessary is because What's born of the flesh is flesh. Your life and mine, this physical existence that we're living in today, we're alive physically, we can be alive physically, but in order for us to be alive spiritually, because our spirits are eternal, they're going to exist forever, either with God or apart from God, we have to be born of the Spirit. We need a new birth. And so Jesus says, look, the new birth is about salvation, um, but why is it necessary? What's it all about? Um, I'll get to this verse in just a second. I think this is so important because the reason this is nece necessary is because of what Nicodemus said to Jesus right off the top. Stick with me here, this is so important. Nicodemus looks at Jesus on this dark night undercover and he says, okay, we know you're a teacher sent from God. So teach, tell me. Like I'm, I'm a Pharisee, Jesus. I'm, I'm a leader of your people, Jesus. I'm here to help people understand how to get into the kingdom of heaven. That's what Pharisees do. We make sure everyone follows the rules. Every little jot and tittle of the law, this is what we do. We make sure they obey the law so they can get into the kingdom of God. That's why I'm here. So if you're a teacher sent from God, Jesus, I imagine Nicodemus saying this with urgency, then tell me what I need to know so I can better help people into the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. You're not even in right now. You're trying to help people see the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and you don't even know me. I'm the door, I'm the way, I'm the life. Right here, Nicodemus, sitting across this table from you under the cover of night, having this conversation, I am God in the flesh, and I'm here to rescue you, Nicodemus. Friends, why is a new birth necessary? Because if a new set of moral teachings could 
teach you the pathway into eternal life in heaven, we, we wouldn't even need Jesus at that point. You don't need Jesus at that point. There's tons of religions in the world that say, follow this list of rules, do this, do that, and you will be right with God. Jesus never claimed to be a teacher sent from God. Jesus claimed to be the bread of heaven. He claimed to be the one from God who fully was God sent to rescue all of us. Those who have gone off the path, the prodigals who have run away from God directly, and even the religious leaders that have no idea what is required to get into heaven. And so Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless you're born again, unless you believe that I am the son of God sent to rescue the entire world, the Nicodemus, you won't see or enter the kingdom of God yourself. The reason the new birth is necessary is because you cannot, no human can earn their own birth. You can't earn it. Life is a gift. You are the result of your parents' decision. Completely out of your hands, all of us. And yet we're here. And so what Jesus is saying is he's saying, the reason this is necessary is because I'm gonna do something, Nicodemus, that you can't do, that no one else can do. I'm gonna die the death you deserved, but that you can't die. And then I'm gonna overcome death three days later so that you can have new life, so you can be born again. Closing with this, because the question we have to ask ourselves, the question we come to and the keys can come out is, are you born again? How do you know if you're born again? There's this fascinating line where Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Don't be surprised by that. He says, look, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, why did Jesus use wind as an analogy? Because you can't see the wind, but you can feel it. There's evidence of the wind, even if you can't see it or touch it. Like if I told you right now, there's a mighty rushing wind just blowing through this auditorium right now, you would all look at me and say, no, there's not. And even if I said, well, how do you know you can't see wind? You'd respond, well, because my hair is lying flat. It's not blowing in the wind. There's no, you can feel the wind. The wind has effects. It would blow out the candles in the back of the room by the prayer wall. We would know if the wind was here. And Jesus is saying, look, part of the way that you know that you are born again, that you are alive is because there's evidence of the life of God working in you. Are you growing in your faith? 
every newborn child, unless there's some heartbreaking condition, every, every newborn child grows into an adult. There should be growth in your faith. For in some of you made a decision years ago to follow Christ. And if you were asked today, where's your faith right now? Where are you at today with Jesus? Some of you might be tempted to respond, well, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I think I'm a pretty good Christian. And I don't say that in any way demeaning or shaming. But friends, if, if I asked you today, how are you doing in your faith? And your, your response is anything about, well, I'm doing pretty good. Friends, you've missed it. Christianity is not about following a new set of teachings or rules. It's not about doing a little better or becoming a little better as a human. It's about new birth and new life through faith in Jesus Christ. It's about the deepest seeds of internal transformation that are gonna come to fullness as you continue to grow in your faith. So are you growing? Friends, the love of God is aggressive. The love of God is aggressive. It is corrosive against anything that stands in the way of God's will, God's calling, and God's purpose for your life. It will go to war against the things in your life that are keeping you from walking in God's purpose for your life. Is there dishonesty in your life? Is there cowardice and fear in your life? Friends, the fruit of the Spirit is security and boldness, secure in our identity in Christ. Is there anxiety in your life? Are you an unreliable person? Your yes isn't yes or your no isn't no. Friends, the fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness, it's follow through, it's peace, even in the midst of the storms. Has depression been around so long that you want to give up? Friends, the fruit of the Spirit is an abiding sense of joy and there is a strong, unrelenting source of that joy found in Jesus Christ. There is always hope for you, no matter how dark or heavy this season may feel. Do you still have within you a desire to fight against the habits and sin patterns in your life that are destroying you and your relationships? Um, is there greed and materialism? Are you constantly dissatisfied or ungrateful? Is there self-hatred? One of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Is there pride and self-centeredness? One of the fruits of the Spirit is humility. Friends, is there evidence of the wind of God blowing in your life? Do you see yourself growing in humility, in faithfulness, in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, kindness, self-control? Do you see yourself growing into maturity in your faith? Is there signs of the wind of the Spirit of God in your life? Is there evidence that you have been born again? But the second thing is this. So first, are you growing? Is there evidence of new birth? Second is this, are you submitting and serving, submitting to and serving the king? When John speaks of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, what he's inferring is that Jesus is king. He is master, commander, he is Lord. And I 
I know in our cultural climate today, one of the things that our culture hates most about Jesus is if there is anything in his word or in his message that speaks to us that we need to change some area of our lives. We want God to change. We don't want us to change. We like things just the way they are. And one of the signs of the new birth and the new life of Christ in you is that when you come to God and you don't feel like the commands of God are this begrudging list of do's and don'ts, but you say, because I'm born again, because I have life in Christ, I wanna walk in your way, Jesus. Show me anything inside of me that is inconsistent with you and then clean it up, change me. That's a sign that you have been born again, that you're alive. I wanna close with this and then we'll, we'll take communion together. Anybody seen The Chosen? An amazing show. I hope, I hope you all have seen it. If you haven't seen it, The Chosen is um, a series on the life of Jesus. I commend it to everyone. Um, one of the things I love about the show is one, I do believe they did a great job of being accurate to scripture, but they also, they also brought the stories to life by taking some creative liberty and adding some backstory in. And one of the most powerful stories, I think it comes in episode two or three, is the story of Mary Magdalene, the very first person that Jesus appeared to when he rose from the dead. Mary Magdalene was possessed by multiple demons, she um, had ended up becoming a prostitute. Part of the backstory of Mary's life is that she, um, in, in Capernaum, Jesus' hometown, she was very disruptive. She couldn't always control um, just the darkness inside of her. And what's crazy is what, what they did in The Chosen, and I loved it, I thought it was brilliant, when Nicodemus came to town to meet with Jesus, the other leaders in town said, hey, there's this woman here. We need you to go do the, the, the rite of exorcism on her. Get rid of all of her junk, okay? Even the Jewish Pharisees had certain prayers that they would pray to try and cast demons out. And so there's this crazy scene where Nicodemus shows up and he's trying to help her. He has no success whatsoever. And eventually he leaves and he says, she's, she's beyond help. And part of her backstory is that Mary Magdalene's mother died, her father died. And while she was still young, living with her dad, very poor family, he gave her a little stuffed animal and he would read her this scripture every night, Isaiah 43, one. Thus says the Lord who created you, Mary, the one who formed you. He said, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. And what's so powerful is Mary's life comes to this climax where she's about to walk off the edge of a cliff and just end it all. She's been sexually abused by a Roman soldier she feels like she's beyond hope. Nicodemus can't help her. No one can help her. She's at a bar. She's about to go walk off a cliff and she has this encounter with Jesus right there. And he puts his hand over her hand and he says, that's enough. You don't need to drink anymore tonight. She looks at him. She can't 
maintain his, his gaze and she walks out of the bar. She's walking alone down this alley at night. She goes by the name Lilith because she doesn't want anyone to know her real name. And then as Jesus walks out into the alleyway, he yells out, Mary! And she stops, she turns. She goes, how do you know that name? Nobody knows that name here. And he looks at her and he goes, Mary, thus says the Lord who created you. The one who formed you in your mother's womb, fear not for I have redeemed you. I've called you by name and you are mine. And he begins to repeat that verse over and over. And he's saying in that moment, I am the uncreated God and I am here to reclaim my image bearer for my glory. And she is set free, delivered and healed. And then a few weeks later, she's in her right mind walking through the streets. She's wearing normal clothes. She's joyful and Nicodemus sees her from afar. He runs to her, he grabs her and he says, what happened? What happened to you? And she goes, it was him, it was Jesus. And she says this, and I love this phrase. She goes, I was one way and now I'm different. And the thing that happened in between was him. Friends, that's what the new birth is. That's what, that's what it's about, that's what it means. I was one way and now I'm another because of what Christ has done in me and for me. Amen. If you've never put your faith in Christ, if you've never taken that step of believing in him, friends, we're about to take communion, but I wanna pray with you right now. I know our time's a little long. I just hang in there with me for a few minutes. This, don't miss this moment. I wanna ask every eye closed, every head bowed. If you want to put your faith in Christ today, if you want to experience a new birth today, please, would you raise your hand high? And again, this is not, thank you. Yeah, thank you. This is not about just saying the right words or the magical formula to get in. This is about your heart fully trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior from this day on. It's the beginning of a whole new life. Thank you for um, let's pray. I want to lead you in a prayer, but this has to be from your heart to Christ. In your heart, say to him, Jesus, I believe. Say to him, I believe that you died on a cross for my sins. Tell him, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me that much. Say to him in your heart, Jesus, I believe that three days later you conquered the grave and you rose from the dead. Tell him from your heart, I believe that by faith in you, I can have new life right now. Lord, I pray for every person right now that is reaching for you in their heart, that you would show them that you already came all the way to them died on the cross for their sins and you made a way for them to have new life friends if you prayed that prayer please we would love to journey with you in this walk of faith ahead of you we have a gift for you we have a bible for you that we'd love to give to you and we would love 
to help you as you learn what it means to walk and follow, walk with Jesus and follow him. But now we're gonna take communion together. And this communion, it just represents the, the death of Jesus on a cross, his blood that was shed for us, his body that was broken for us. And friends, every time that we pause and take a moment to remember what he's done for us, this communion is a way of saying, Lord, I am believing again, I'm trusting again. And I'm saying thank you again for what you've done for me. Friends, let's take communion together, then we'll close out our time. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.